Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast. A podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from Meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. This episode is brought to you by Hivos East Africa under the resources of Open Mind Project, which supports the global creative work and project of artists, musicians, and media producers around the world. The project, through its various initiatives, aims at supporting a new generation of creative futurists, challenging the dominant narratives and providing alternative solutions. In the third edition of the What's Good Creative Ambition series, I can only understand my creativity as as a sort of madness, I have to say, uh, in the sense that if I do not create, then it accumulates and it blocks everything else that could possibly uh, allow me to function. It's the thing that I do in the same way that a doctor is passionate about saving lives. I'm passionate about creating. Collaboration. There's a lot that uh, I learned from collaborating with um, different kinds of creatives. So I approach art in a, I approach my practice in a very multidisciplinary uh, way. So I've structured my life in a way that uh, I know which time is my time to make art, which time is my time to read to improve myself, which time is my time to serve other artists. We discussed a couple of topics around visual artistry, from interrogation of socio-cultural political narratives in creative bodies, planning and execution of Nairobi Design Week, production styles and processes of creative works, and the future of gallery and art space in Kenya. The speakers include Wamboy Kamiru Kolimo, founder of the art space, Tom Ogonga, artist and curator, Naitiemu Nyanjom, material and performance artist. The conversation was then moderated by Barbara Minishi, photographer and creative director. We hope you enjoy this episode. So thank you very much, everyone. And let me start our conversation. And the first person I'm actually going to bring up is Wamboy Kamiru Kolimo. Wamboy, last week you had an exhibition called The Eyes Were Watching, which recently entered at uh, the One of Gallery. It was an exploration of scientific racism and opened up the conversation on sexual violence in Kenya and paid tribute to Veldin Nungari Kinyanjue. You have absolutely powerful, impactful work. And I have noted that you really put a lot of research. Can you explain and share more about your background, the background of that specific um, exhibition and your relationship to research when you're addressing social, political, cultural narratives? So um, thank you very much, Barbara. Um, The Eyes Were Watching is actually a work that has been I have been developing over the last possibly two, two, three years. And um, the reason I chose to present it at this time was because of the rising uh, violence against women. And it's a tribute to Velvin uh, Nungari because uh, I saw parallels between her and Sarah Batman and as far as how her body was treated. Uh, because I don't imagine that a man who respects a woman's body or a person who respects a woman's body would treat it in the way that they did um, in such a violent way. 
Um, Sarah's, Sarah Batman was a South African woman who was sold in Europe. Um, some people say that she agreed, but then because you know of the power structures, you know that the contract could not have favored her. And she was a fascination and the basis, she was a fascination because she had full buttocks. And uh, the fascination around that created a movement around scientific racism, which basically classified people based on race and then how close they were to being apes. And Sarah Batman was used as the typical example of uh, black people being closer to apes. Uh, her body was desecrated uh, to the point of her, you know, her organs were taken out and, and put into jars and preserved for over 150 years in the French Museum. And it was only after Nelson Mandela requested that her remains be returned that they were, and she was given a dignified burial. It also attests to the fact that um, Africans um, are, stud are studied, and they're not studied as humans, but they're studied as subjects. Um, and that ties deeply into the fact that we also have a lot of our cultural heritage in Western museums and the fact that they're being held in trust for us as opposed to being returned to us where we have a value for those items. Well, Ving comes into this particular story because Sarah Batman's display and the exotification of her body and the fetishization of her parts, which is you know, her big buttocks and her, um, uh, her full lips, tie into uh, popular culture. So Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, et cetera. And it all goes down into the fact that to be beautiful in this time and age, you are a sum of body parts. And I see Velvin having, having been looked at in the exact same way by this man who raped her in such a brutal way that he broke her spine. Um, he couldn't have seen her, but just as some part of body parts. Now, how does research fit into my artwork? It's important to create a basis of knowledge. Uh, and that's what I try to do with my artwork. I try to create the patient within my artwork that generates uh, new ideas, a new way of thinking. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with um, a couple of other uh, people who are involved in something called memory activism. And I see memory activism as the, um, the ability to create a counter, counter narrative. But yeah, but the mainstream narrative, which you know, is fed to you by media, by popular culture, etc. Then you've got the counter narrative that asks the why. And that's what I'm interested in. So in order to be able to raise the why, I use research to get different viewpoints um, so that it's, the work is not subjective, but is encompassing of ideas. So you as a participant who goes into the space will, will bring your own memories into the work and you'll use those memories to interact with the work and generate new questions for yourself. Thank you very much. That was very powerful. Tom, your recent exhibition, Line and Smudge 2, was actually a continuation from a past exhibition that you had in 2014, Line and Smudge 1. Mm -hmm. um, please, can you share um, the evolution of your studio space, um, your work process, and this whole collaboration that happens when you're in a particular community and how it just evolves and informs your work. Um, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I think uh, for a very long time, my work has been informed by human behavior, uh, spaces that uh, we inhabit and the circumstances that uh, uh, 
make us do certain things. And, uh, it's it's made it's made my work very easy for lack of a better for lack of a better word because uh, I don't struggle to source for material or to look for conversations that I'm interested in. Uh, it, it's, it also allows me or it also points me to a direction where um, I've found myself fascinated by what I call very immediate stories or very local stories, uh, which allow me to use the person next to me uh, as, a, as a conversation starter of what I'm doing. Uh, for the longest time, I feel like African artists are forced to look at issues that are globalized. We, we're supposed to talk about the big things out there in the West. It's, it's made it very difficult for an artist practicing in the developing world to tell their stories. We're supposed to talk about things in the bigger picture. Uh, for example, today we woke up to... Uh, Every, every news channel was talking about Derek versus Floyd. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's very easy for me as a Kenyan artist to be embraced on a global platform for the Black Lives Matter. Yet we have similar circumstances happening here that uh, we, we, we don't make important enough. So for me, it's uh, consciously I made a choice of uh, telling the stories that are, seem to be very localized, but they have their foothold in the global podium. Uh, we, we keep talking about elections. Everybody wanted uh, Biden to win. Everybody wanted Museveni to lose. But uh, what's our circumstance? So we have elections here. We have uh, issues to do with the social systems. And uh, I can go on forever. But uh, the, the last two or three prominent exhibitions personal projects that I did. Uh, if you talk about Lane and Smudge, uh, both one and two, and uh, village gentrification, I've, uh, for the longest, I've been an artist who was uh, born in the city, went to school in the city, living and working in the city. And then at some stage in my life, I ran away from the city and moved uh, to the peri-urban, not really suburbs, in, the, in small settlements. And uh, I struggled for a while to find the city within this space. And uh, the work that I created in uh, 2013, 2014 for Lion and was uh, came from a very difficult space where I'd moved from uh, this huge communal space that is the go-down and Kuona, and uh, I'd moved everything to my house. Uh, but my studio was the smallest room in my house. I was not seeing the hustle and bustle in the city. And uh, for about three, four, five months, I couldn't work. And uh, I had to force myself to get into an entry point, start working, get up and start doing something. And uh, initially it was very difficult and it started very playfully. Like uh, when, when you move from the city where you, you see 500 people in your street in one day and then you move to the village where it's 10 or 15 people, you start noticing certain trends this is the village drunk, this is the landlord, this is the noisemaker, this is Tom. And uh, it, it just started as a pictorial diary and it was small portraits, very quick sketches. But, uh, before I got to probably sketch number 30, I managed to farm up my concept and uh, it, it became a conversation between me and these people. And I found myself enjoying it that I probably did uh, 100 or 120 
different sketches. I would wake up in the morning and they're all one session sketches. Um, I showed about 15 or 20% of the work in shift. Eh? And then uh, last year, because of COVID, I didn't, I used the COVID ex- as an excuse of not working. And uh, when I went to my studio, just uh, digging through things, I found this work and I found that uh, over a period of six or seven years, not a lot has changed. It's, it's the same conversation. It's the same people and uh, it's the same problems. So it's, uh, for me, it's uh, the people who are really close to me and I've found that even as a curator, when I'm curating projects, is subjects that uh, are really close to my heart. Things that uh, uh, give me self-fulfillment. I understand that uh, there are requirements for me to be a curator practicing on the global scene there are conversations I'm supposed to contribute in. But uh, I think my approach is uh, I want to start locally. And uh, that's why today it's Kabete, tomorrow is Nairobi, the day after tomorrow it's a country, then maybe. Uh, So that's my approach to how I work. Thank you very much. But before I go on, because you've just mentioned something and I want to jump in. Last Mm -hmm. year, you still did have an exhibition and it was a collaboration with Michael Soy and it was Sex Mm -hmm. in the City 4. I love this whole idea of connection and collaboration. And as you said, when you moved from the city into Kabete, your work changed. Is there a difference or can you, do you have any insights between the first Sex Mm -hmm. in the City and this Sex in the City 4? Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. You you know, what's interesting about my work is that... uh, um, I'm a paradox. When, when I'm working, I work very hard. And uh, when I'm lazy, I'm, I'm very lazy. And uh, I think the last five years I've not painted, but I have probably 30, 40 paintings that are, nobody has seen. So I, I always have these small pockets of work that uh, uh, have never been seen, have never left my studio. Um, I, I think Sex and the City is a brilliant project in that uh, we were friends with Michael Soy before we found ourselves in the same industry. And uh, we, we, we've been neighbors, we've been uh, studio mates, we, we, we've been drinking buddies, we go watch football together. So it's, uh, it's something that uh, has been, uh, the project Sex and the City has been choreographed very cleverly over a long period of time. And uh, I also think that uh, I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm clever, but uh, I know where the line stops of uh, what I'm able to do and what somebody else brings into my practice. I wish I could make paintings uh, like uh, as explicit as Michael Soy does, but uh, I think I cannot for whatever reasons. Maybe I censor myself, maybe I, you know. So it's a, it's, it's a very, it's almost like a good cop, bad cop, where I, I do this and he adds something else to what I can't do. And uh, I find that uh, it, it works very well for both of us. Sometimes like uh, the Sex and the City we did last was all very old work, but uh, some of it has not been seen. Uh, I think the last painting I signed must have been uh, 2014 or 2015. But uh, you come to my studio, you'll, you'll think that they were done yesterday or last week because the other thing I also don't sign my work. So it's difficult for you to know when they were done. Thank you very much. That is an incredible work ethic, but I also like this um, respect with incubation and gestation. Naitiemu, 
Tom has just mentioned something and I automatically thought about you because this whole idea of collaboration with other people and not just on a small scale, but on a large scale, you are an artist who's also creating her own work. Nonetheless, you are a festival manager and art director of the recently concluded Nairobi Design Week. Um, Listeners, I encourage you to go to the Nairobi Design Week platform on Instagram and you will see the bulk of the artists and the work and the information that actually went into it. It's quite stunning. Naitiemu, can you please share with us how you got involved with the Design Week and your experience with um, creating and curating for it alongside working on your other personal projects? Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for sharing more about Nairobi Design Week. I'm honored to be here and uh, really happy to be alongside artists and creators I look up to. So with Nairobi Design Week, um, I'll perhaps give a little brief history of how, how I started off. So I graduated from School of Civil Engineering in 2018. I was, I was by that time practicing art Um, I'd done a couple of exhibitions and really had been embedded in the art industry. So when I I graduated, I went into being a freelance artist. Um, And then in 2019, I met Adrian, who's the director of Nairobi Design Week, and and, uh, really got embedded in Nairobi Design Week, got to understand what it is about. And I'd already known Nairobi Design Week, but then really got to see the process of community, the process of working together and, uh, and uh, became uh, involved as creative lead in Nairobi Design Week and project and managing a couple of projects. So that's how I got into Nairobi Design Week. And uh, Adrian is my partner, actually. So by the time, I mean, by, by, by using my creative skills as an artistic director and, uh, and uh, using my creativity with a network that I already had uh, as, a, as a freelance artist um, and embedding this ideas in the projects that uh, we are working on Nairobi Design Week has become what, what, what has been propelling us. So we've been able to work with the community in different projects, such as music videos, um, such as uh, creating products um, um, with, with, with resident designers, and uh, a lot of projects that uh, have been propelling my creative knowledge. Uh, really, it's been more about learning for me. It's, it's really a journey of learning to work with people, a journey of appreciating the stories told by people, and really a journey of appreciating Africa as a creative space, as a space full of, you know, a rich, a rich um, space, really. I've got to learn so much about different designers, different creators within Africa through different um, projects we, ha- we have with other communities, such as the African Crossroads, um, event which happened last year. It was about Pan-Africanism and uh, they just recently concluded Nairobi Design Week Festival, which uh, featured over a hundred amazing creatives. So um, I'll talk more about uh, Nairobi Design Week um, as we progress, but uh, please check it out. And yeah, that, that's, uh, that's been my journey so far. Um, I'm growing as a creative lead and uh, yeah, just uh, handling different projects digitally now with COVID. It's been a lot of growth digitally. Um, now that you've said that, let yeah. me just stop you for a little while. You were part of person of Nairobi Design Week last year. Yes. And also 2019, yes? Yes, 
Yes. What's the difference? What's the difference that you had moving from a physical space onto an online space? Um, yeah. The thing is, we, we have or we'd already been working a lot digitally, like uh, in programs with the website and uh, different programs with uh, creatives. But now when COVID hit, we turned all our, all, our, all our means to be online. So we've had projects actually with designers that have been working completely online. We've had projects we're working on, such the, like the London Design Biennale, which has been a complete digital collaboration among the participants. So the major difference has really been, um, we've even like uh, rebuilt our website now just to make it a lot more, um, a lot more user-friendly, you know, learning how to work with the, with the, with the people uh, digitally. We've had uh, Zoom calls and uh, we even had an app called eDesign Repeat, which is a platform that is connecting creatives together and uh, have opportunities there and, and, uh, just a, a means where people can connect further despite the social, despite the not being there physically. And that's why even this year, the, 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 the festival was completely digital. We didn't have um, a physical festival like the last time. So it's been more about learning to work with the digital means. Um, I feel like even it's grown our community in terms of the outreach. We've been able to collaborate with communities that we couldn't have collaborated with before um, physically like Dutch Design Week um, and, and uh, just being able to really have these international connections because it's easier now um, in terms of online, online conversations. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you. You know, one thing I, I must commend you and Adrian and the TED Nairobi Design Week for is that I have been introduced to a plethora of so many talent, creative Kenyan artists. It's outstanding. If you're a creative or a person who's interested in even commissioning anyone, I would advise you to actually follow up and go to the Eat Design Repeat app. It's, fab it's a fabulous resource of talented artists and the work that they have is just gorgeous. Thank you, Naitimu. Tom, you. we are back to you with curating. Um, years ago, you and Wamboy were both part of a very juicy curatorial workshop. Afterwards, um, you created, if I'm correct, you will correct me, your first workshop, which was, I mean, your first exhibition, which was a group exhibition entitled Proximities of Power, which was held July to August 2017. Um, can you share with us um, the process and experiencing that you have had curating it and other exhibitions and what advice can you share regarding anyone who's interested in the curatorial path like me? Oh, those are so many questions. You'll have to remind <laughs> me of the sequence as we, as we move on. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think uh, I've, uh, I've always been involved in curating projects like, uh, and, uh, Proximity to Power was not the first project I curated. I think officially uh, what we first did, we did uh, stereotypes, which we co-curated with uh, the gang, Kamisha and Soe. It was uh, just around the elections again, somehow, the, the common threads. And then uh, I've, uh, I've also curated uh, Enjoy Responsibly, uh, something to do with the uh, artists and substance abuse in the arts. But uh, the, the curatorial workshop was brilliant in that uh, I think uh, 
our we don't have a lot of uh, certain types of education in the arts in uh, in Nairobi or in Kenya. So uh, personally, every time there's an opportunity to learn something uh, from somebody who's learned it in school or somebody who's learned it through experience. I always run for it. Uh, and uh, we had two brilliant guys, uh, Azu and uh, uh, Rafael Chikukwa. Um, I think we're we, we always curating projects. And uh, for me, mm. one of the main things I learned from uh, this particular session is uh, just go sit down with somebody who's done it longer than you. And uh, they really helped me into fine-tuning my thoughts uh, and uh, just getting clarity of my curatorial mission and vision. Uh, it was also a good opportunity to just try to understand how other people do it. Like uh, it's, it's very easy for us uh, to sit and make an excuse why, why we don't do ABC, but you find people from countries that are really struggling and they're doing things. Uh, Kenya is supposed to be we, we have freedom to do everything uh, in the arts. Uh, we have all the people, everybody from Africa thinks we have a lot of money, but then you have guys from Zimbabwe who are broke, but they're doing things. Guys from uh, Nigeria, which is more corrupt than us doing things. It, it was, a, they made it look very easy. And uh, I think for me, apart from uh, having every participant looking over your ideas and people correcting you, uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Uh, the, the main thing was uh, we just shared openly the joys and frustrations of uh, exhibition making in the continent. Uh, and uh, after that, I, I think uh, making proximity to power was, uh, it was actually a very, I'm, I'm very lucky because my projects have uh, very interesting coincidences. Um, when, uh, Number one, the beauty of it is uh, we had access to a small fund. Uh, the most annoying thing for you as a, as a project maker or as a curator is uh, the absence of funds. And uh, when, when somebody gives you a small pot of money to facilitate everything, uh, you're in seventh heaven. Uh, I chose proximity to power because of the conversations that we're having. Uh, Pre-election in Africa, they're always uh, very, very ugly truths come out. And, uh, uh, my, my concept was, was chosen. I was very lucky that a very prolific artist agreed to work with me. I had a very good team. And uh, sometimes it's very easy for people to give the curator a pat on the back. But uh, I was very lucky I had a good team. And uh, I'm happy the exhibition was received the way it was. Um, uh, advice to anybody interested in curating? Um, I, I'd like to throw that to Amboi. Amboi mentioned research, and uh, I love her work because it's very research-based. Uh, yeah. we, we always want to do things in a hurry, especially the younger you are. You want to get to point B in a hurry. Uh, you have to research, work very hard, earn your stripes. And uh, when you earn them, make sure you keep them. How do you keep them? Uh, keep good relations with the people in the industry. I think um, uh, I'm in a very privileged place that uh, I can call Barbara and she'll pick my phone. I'll call Circle, I'll call, I'll call all these places. But uh, we, we sometimes forget the very simple things. Uh, as a curator, you need artists. 
you need access to space. Uh, you'll be a lucky curator if you have your space, but if you don't have, you have to talk to the people with space. You you need uh, exhibition designers, you need graphic designers. You, you know, it's a it's a whole team. It's it's like a, it's almost like flying a plane. So you you have to be number one on your toes. You have to listen. You have to research. You have to be aware of what all the artists are doing. Uh, I feel very embarrassed when uh, somebody comes up to me and asks me, have you seen ITM's recent works? And I'm like, I have not, you know, I have no business being a curator if I have no idea what artists are doing because these are the people that I want to work with. It's like a, a DJ who's, who's not aware of what music is there. So it's, uh, it's, it's very easy, but it's also very difficult. But uh, I, 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 I always pick the slogan by Nike, just, just do it. You, you can't be a curator before you do something. You have to get up and do something. And uh, we learn through mistake, especially living in a space where a lot of people are not trained to do this. You learn on the job and you learn from other people. Excellent. Thank you. And it's a very perfect segue to Wamboy. Wamboy, last year you initiated this series of wonderful conversations on your Instagram with Kenyan artists. Like I'm just remembering even snippets on conversation with Beatrice about grief or Maggie who was talking about following clients, you know, and buying art or studio space and residences. This was such a powerful and a much needed connective um, space of engagement. Can you share with us what inspired these conversations and the notable experiences and insights that you can also share with us? Okay, I I think you have actually said it quite well, which is uh, connection and engagement. Um, When we went into the lockdown, Many of us were forced to go and find, you know, sources of information or knowledge other than what was happening, other than what was causing anxiety um, and uncertainty. And so um, when I went online on IG, I realized that, uh, you know, North America and Europe and all these other places had content around artwork. There was really nothing much from Kenya and there was really nothing much from the African continent. And it was a great opportunity because one of the things that I think, especially with Kenyan artists that we lack, um, is that an online presence. And so the IG conversations turned into a platform for conversation about what artists are involved with, uh, what work they're creating, um, their the influences, what challenges they're facing. The idea being to inspire other people who might be interested in going into the arts, um, to engage artists who are already established and to keep them uh, updated on you know, the changes that were happening on the art scene. Over the last number of years, I think it's over the last maybe seven, seven five to seven years, there's been a great shift in the art uh, industry here in Kenya, and it's been amazing to see the collaborations that come out of it. So uh, the IG conversation turned into uh, an opportunity to, to work together, uh, to bring diaspora artists, Kenyan diaspora artists into the, the circle and to show, you know, his artwork all over the place. And that, those are some of the comments that actually kept coming back was, I didn't realize that actually I'm existing in a place where there's artwork. 
Um, so, you know, Mary Maloney's work, Marianne Maloney's work at Two Rivers, um, Eddie Picasso's work on Matatus, things that affect us um, daily and that feed into our creativity. So things that uplift us. Um, and that's why we had the, the IG conversations. Thank you very much on that. Um, Naitiro, as an artist, residences and exhibitions generally play a very, well, I wouldn't say very, but an important role in one's growth and position in, in the art world. You have experienced a lot of residences and exhibitions. Can you share with us like a breakthrough moment with an art residency, any art project um, that you had that had a notable impact on the trajectory of how you show up and the work that you do? Um, I feel like uh, every, every experience I've had um, in different areas have, have kind of been impactful in one way or another. So um, I remember going for the Khan residency, KAN, Knowledge, Art and Networking um, in Arusha in uh, January of 2020, actually. And it was very impactful for me because of how much I got to, I was already in a trajectory of really understanding a lot of things that are from Africa, really appreciating the different works from different creators from Africa. And then for that particular residency, I was working with uh, eight other creatives from different parts of Africa. So that interaction with them really, like I really got to learn more about, um, you know, where they come from. I got some, I was working with Coco Kabamba from, from Congo and the, uh, you know, you're telling me stories about Congo and, and their lifestyle and, and everyone had different stories of what's happening in where and everyone was so nice. And it made me feel really, really aware after, after I came back from that residency. I really wanted to know more about Africa and really appreciate the talent that we have, which also um, grew, you know, with time because with Nairobi Design Week, um, we've been able to have this platform with conversations, you know, with a podcast, Africa Design Podcast also has been a platform where um, I'm learning a lot from different artists, from different, not just artists, but uh, people who are making a difference in, in the world from around Africa. So that's been a, a way of growth for me. Um, certain residencies like the, the Switcheroo residency, um, um, which, which uh, was a colorful co co connection. Uh, I did that in 2018. It was a, a connection between creatives from uh, Kenya, which were three of us, and uh, uh, both both artists, both uh, visual artists and musicians, and are creatives from from France. It was called a colorful connection. For that, we painted the places in Nairobi, and there was something that happened with. I put up a photograph of a stairway to. It was basically we painted colorfully with the community. The whole idea was to make this connection with the community such that painting is easy. You know, like. Uh, you know, just pick a brush. The kids were there painting, you know, because we've given them really simple blocks and then we do the finishing. So it was more about connection with the community, which is something I'm passionate about. Um, and once that was done, I took a photo and I put it on, on, on Twitter. And for some reason, it went viral for all the, you know, for different reasons. So because the stairway was colorful, uh, people would say that it's, it, the project was all about LGBTQ community. Um, the thing is, the project was not about LGBTQ community, but the whole, it was about humanity, you know, it's about being together as humans, which includes 
LGBTQ. But for some reason, Kenyans on Twitter took it harshly and uh, some, not, not all harshly because I got a lot of good support from that, but some harsh comments. And, and it was my first time really experiencing something viral. And yeah, I think it was quite an experience. Um, it's something that I learned about uh, just understanding people. And then, you know, also it was an impactful thing because art, art makes people talk, you know, it was about actually art can bring conversations, art can actually make revolutions or movements happen. So that's something I learned from that. And um, project that we're doing in Nairobi Design Week, like the labeled human project has been quite very dear to me because it's all about humanity. And this uh, labeled human project um, involved different creatives uh, in Nairobi Design Week 2020 festival, which was a week long festival happening at 209 State House Road. And in that one week, uh, musicians, I was directing for a project on creating a music video and, and song. So the musicians made a song called Labeled Human and uh, we did the video, which is a one-shot video. And it was all about sharing our labels because everywhere you go, you're labeled something. But at the end of the day, we are all human. So how about we focus on these things that bring us together as opposed to things that actually separate us which was a build-up from a different, uh, the same project was a build-up from, from, from an installation project we had in 2018 at the London Design Biennale, which was the Labeled Human Project. Uh, it was a refugees pavilion and, and uh, refugees everywhere they go, regardless of what they do, they're always um, called refugees, right? You're from somewhere else, you're from somewhere else. And that's why we had the Labeled Human Cards and everyone would fill in their labels. So I've been labeled, um, for example, since I got my dreadlocks, I've been labeled a Rasta girl. So, but at the end of the day, we are all labeled human. So that was, that has been very impactful, just working with the community, with the creatives and learning from people. Um, different genres of art, it's, it's very exciting. Um, you know, skaters, basketballers, creators in terms of muralists, and you know the list goes on and on it's very exciting thank you very much I, I i love how this moves so beautifully into this whole idea of public criticism or personal criticism you can i label you an art critic Tom? no you can't no you can't <laughs> label me an art critic Okay, fine. But then let me go on with the question. You are the founder and editor of Nairobi Contemporary, which is intellectual discourses from artist perspectives. Yes. Can you share how it was initiated, the processes you undergo for producing each edition, and the way forward with the next edition? Uh, thank you. First of all, you're giving me more credit than I deserve. Uh, it's, it's again, it's teamwork. Um, uh, I, I think uh, I started writing out more out of frustration uh, in that uh, as an artist, and every artist will tell you this, uh, for an artist to accumulate a body of work that can uh, make an exhibition of five pieces, there's a lot of research, a lot of thought process, a lot of stories they're trying to, to talk about. But then uh, an artist puts up what they think is their best. And then uh, somebody comes to 
write about their work, whether it's in their studio, but nine in 10 times it's during the exhibition. And uh, what comes out of that can be very frustrating because you are you end up being compared to other people. It's a, again, it goes back to the yardstick is very Western. So Tomogonga works in this way because he's influenced by artist X, who probably Tom doesn't know. And uh, it, it became very annoying and uh, my writing started out of frustration. Uh, initially, I started writing for my own blog. I don't like being called a blogger because I'm not one. Uh, I started writing for my blog and uh, after five, six, seven, ten years, I started sounding like myself. And uh, I thought my, my writing was becoming repetitive. And so I sat down with a couple of friends and we were like, uh, how, how can we build on this? I'm tired of writing for my blog because uh, even my friends who used to edit my text became tired of me. And uh, fortunately enough, it was uh, at a very good time when a lot of artists were feeling the same things. Um, Kenya, Nairobi is very lucky. Most of the arts is concentrated here. But uh, again, most of the, the initiatives are very expatriate-owned or expatriate-started. And uh, unfortunately, I have nothing against uh, foreigners or Westerners, but most of them come within, come to stay for a certain period. So somebody starts something and after three years, they have to go back home, the thing stops. And uh, we, we just thought, why, why, why can't we combine all this frustration? And again, like Nike, just do it. And, uh, we sat down a couple of guys. We decided to give, uh, to tell our own stories the way we want to. And uh, that's why it's artist perspectives. Uh, when we started, people were like, uh, artists are not intellectual. That's a long story for another day. But uh, we just decided, why, why not just start something that talks about what we do and uh, as, rather than talk about exhibitions, which, is, which that is what we interact with every day. Let's talk about our stories. Let's talk about policies, frustrations that we go through as artists. I, I don't want to be reading about uh, exhibition A every day of the year. We have about, if not wrong, we have about 500, 700 artists practicing in Nairobi every day. But uh, there are maybe three or four platforms a week in the main newspapers only reporting about exhibitions. Where are the artists who don't do exhibitions? There are a lot of artists who thrive on uh, doing other things. So I, I think we just, uh, we are again very lucky that there are people who wanted to do something like this. And uh, we just built it from scratch. I think I get a lot of credit because most of the meetings were happening in my studio. But uh, again, it's not something I can do myself. I was appointed to be the guy called the editor and get people together. Uh, and uh, we did uh, edition one and two uh, with the almost non-existent funds. There are artists who didn't, who didn't give texts, but uh, they gave us money to go to print. All the writers gave us the articles for free. So again, I was just the guy who was curating the project, finding the printer, talking to the graphic designer, looking over the editing. So number one and two, we did with the, from our own pockets. Then we were very lucky that uh, some, some guys with money liked what we were doing and they gave us money for two editions. So we did two editions again. We just did the fifth. We've done five in print. The last one only went online because we are too broke to print, but I, I hope we get to print. 
and uh, we are thinking about number seven now. So again, it's a it's something that uh, we hope we can build on, and uh, it can be a point of reference, a point of conversation, and uh, a lot of people want to go online, but uh, we want to be traditional. There's a lot of material being generated online, and uh, things get pushed down very quickly. So for us, it's very important to have that physical copy, uh, like uh, to have one in your shelf, have one in your car that you can read in traffic, you know. So for us, having a hard copy is very important. And uh, something else, uh, we that's the only part. I, I was a dictator deciding the format. That's the only power I have. And uh, we made it very large and cumbersome. I, I like vinyls, the 12-inch records, and uh, we try to make it like that. Everybody wants MP3 and FLAC files for their music. I want vinyl, and that's why I want huge copy of Nairobi Contemporary. Hopefully, we do another one before October, September, October, because uh, I also have to balance between my personal projects, uh, my curatorial projects, my the Nairobi Contemporary. But uh, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful venture. It's uh, a lot of frustration. Uh, the most difficult thing is to call people and tell them, hey, I need you to write for free. And uh, sometimes, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's the one reason that will uh, always make me delay. But uh, the hard part is I always have to find a way of uh, making it happen. But uh, it's, it's what it is. We're, we're more interested in... Uh, non-exhibition things. For example, uh, I had a show last month. People are going to write about, uh, Tomogonga had a show, it had X amount of work, the work looked like this. But uh, for Nairobi Contemporary, you want, we want to talk about why the show may be important, why you should uh, leave your concert and go to the show, what, the, what conversations this show is sparking. So it's... Um, it's, it's one of those things that uh, we hope goes on so long as I'm strong enough to carry on with it and uh, so long as uh, we have a little money to give our designer, to give our contributors, to give the printer. So we try to do it uh, with the bare costs and uh, hopefully uh, within the next couple of months, you'll have number seven out. Where also can people get past editions if they're interested in them? Um, um, unfortunate, of, or let me start with a good thing. Uh, it's, it's available in all the galleries, uh, one of Red Hill, uh, Circle, uh, in, uh, Nairobi Bag Factory. That's Michael Soy's shop. Uh, unfortunately, again, like, uh, the, the business angle of doing things around, uh, we try to register it and, uh, yeah, like uh, the, the policy makers, uh, we, are, we are put together with the magazines like uh, Time and Newsweek and Drab and True Love. So when we, went, when we tried to register it, we were supposed to pay close to a million shillings to get the ISBN number that allows us to stock it in uh, bookshops and retail shops. So we, we are producing it as a hybrid of a magazine and uh, an exhibition catalogue. That means we can't have it in a bookstore. We can't have so we are selling it in a safe spaces, safe pockets of uh, art spaces, and uh, because of the goodwill we have with uh, all these art institutions, yeah, it, it's it's coming handy. Thank you, thank you, Bomboy. Tom has brought some important 
topic about safe spaces. You are the founder of Art Space Kenya, a gallery that's first started as a physical space, but now it's on a online space. I had read somewhere where you had described the ups and downs of starting a business in Kenya, something Tom has also pointed out with this issue of the ISBN number. Please share the events, experience, and exhibitions that you are proud of and uh, what lessons you you learned regarding the business of art as a person who owns an art gallery. So those are like four questions. So I'm going to try and pick up what Tom said. Uh, running a business in this country has got all sorts of obstacles. Um, and especially when you run a business that's art-related, does, that fits, doesn't fit in, you know, the straightforward mainstream, you know, media or uh, retail. I'm, you know, I'm not selling onions or ketchup. I am selling artwork. And the minute you start going towards artwork, you start going towards luxury goods. So here in Kenya, art is seen as a luxury good, as opposed to being seen as a necessity or educational uh, tool, or just as art itself. So when I started the art space, it was meant to be a safe space uh, to present work. And it was supposed to be an opportunity for artists to actually begin to own their work in a way that they can display the fact that they, you know, they've thought about the work. Uh, it fits into conversation, again, to spark uh, change. Um, change related to the topics that they were exploring, for example, whether it was corruption or it was the transportation sector, it was how we consume alcohol. Um, so the art space was meant to do that. And we, we initially needed a physical space where you could have artists come in, not just to do exhibitions, but also to show work that they were experimenting with, to have conversations around what it takes to be a Kenyan artist, um, and to teach each other, because artists also have additional skills. There's, um, there's one artist who came in and gave us a conversation about accounting and how to manage your accounts as an artist. So it was, it was about, you know, the whole artist. Now, my problem came about when uh, I realized that I was working for rent. So all the money that the art space was generating was going towards paying rent. And that's one of the most expensive costs in this country for any small business. Now, put that alongside with the fact that I'm not selling a fast-moving consumer good. And what I'm selling is a product that, you know, you have good sales one week and the next week you don't have sales or you have sales, you know, a couple of months later. So whatever you earn in that first week is supposed to last you for an unforeseeable future. And I realized that maybe I was not better serving, um, best serving the community that I was working with. So closed down the physical space and moved into a digital space um, after realizing as well that most of the artwork we were selling was not what was on display on the walls, but actually what was in the racks. So the art space digitally is meant to be uh, an opportunity to grow a consumer base, mainly corporate, because the other thing that we also have to do uh, deal with is the fact that we don't have a national art gallery. So a lot of artwork is, is bought and taken abroad. And there then ends up being a gap in Kenyan art or how it is archived. So 
you know, it, it occurred to me that maybe one way of creating this national art gallery is to create collections within different corporates. So we work with corporates to help them build their collection, to help them archive um, existing collections, and to also create an opportunity for people who are interested in art and art research, because one of the things that we need as Kenyans are art historians and art researchers, uh, an opportunity to see these artworks. So emphasizing to the corporates the importance of those uh, items as assets, the need to ensure them, and the need to protect them. Because I mean, one of the corporates that we worked with, we found that when they were remodeling the space, they had taken down the artwork and never returned it and then put it into a shed and it wasn't well preserved. And you have artists like um, Jack Katarikawa's work, which you know, fetches close to you know, 1.5, 1.7 now, being sold at a thousand bob. And, you know, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was quite a... Uh, 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 what, what do I call it, illuminating moment that, you know, corporates may have the capital to expand and look at assets in this particular way. And maybe this is where we need to be safe keeping our artwork before we have a national art gallery. The other part of it is also working with consumers. So building, beginning to build collect encouraging uh, people who may not have such a big disposable income to begin to buy you know pieces that they and, and get into the the habit of buying artwork um, another part of it is also in education so uh, helping consumers of artwork uh, clients as they're often called to understand why they're buying a particular work uh, to start to follow an artist through the lifetime of their career, because that's something else that also happens. You know, an artist is hot at this particular moment. There's a lot of buying for that artist. And then when they're no longer hot, they're forgotten. And what that happens, what happens to the artist's income is that, you know, there's a spike and then there's a downturn. And it, 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 it kills artists. It kills um, the fact that this artist is relying on the artwork, not as a hobby, but as an income, as income generation for the family. That's the other thing that the art space is doing, which is um, educating buyers that artwork is not a hobby. It's not a pastime. People actually rely on the work that they sell. And it should be a career that is as respected as, you know, being an accountant or um, I was going to say being a politician, but that's not a respectable uh, career. But um, being an accountant or being a doctor or being a dentist, uh, that sort of work, because it's a specialization. It takes years to create and generate those skills. There's experimentation. There's risk taken in uh, working with those materials, whether it's uh, lead poisoning or cobalt poisoning, or it's working with, you know, wood dust that goes into your lungs. It's a sacrifice. And it's a, it's a hard earned sacrifice to create these works. Now, what do these works do? Not only do they look beautiful on your wall, but they also raise conversation. They uh, bring about pride, bring about the sense of identity. So the art space is about all those things. It's about education, it's about creating pockets of collection. Um, it's about engagement. It's about um, experimentation. And it's about bringing people together. Excellent. Thank you very much. Nice you. This is wonderful. Now, as a festival manager and art director of Nairobi Design Week, 
Some points have been raised which are very important um, by Wamboy also about this whole idea of consumerism and education and production. Right now, even with Eat Design Repeat, it feels you have a directory of wonderful artists, you know, and wonderful work. Um, do you have any future plans for creating spaces where they can be, um, when we had shared, actually the affordable art app auction will be happening soon. Um, but is there a space that you have created where um, the designers or the artists who are part of the design week or who sign up can structure their creating also around producing and selling? Yeah, um, for e-design repeat up, uh, it's actually our, our, our initial directory has shifted to this app from uh, Nairobi Design Week directory to e-design repeat app because we realized that we need a platform that can actually be, you know, of beneficial to the creatives, you know. Um, I don't want to just sign up for something and then that's it, right? Because it's more about building that community and what are we looking for? So if you look at the app right now, we put up a space for opportunities and there's, you know, currently um, there's an Under Our Skin Film Festival coming up and one that was about uh, looking for artists, actually. I can't remember the exact name, but uh, it's an opportunity that's looking to, to fund 100 artists. So it's something to check out as a, for, for artists. And um, uh, it's also a platform where we are building conversations with creatives. So our future, currently what we, what we are doing is having this one-on-one -on -one conversation with creatives. Uh, we have been a WhatsApp group where people, um, you know, uh, share, share whatever is happening, you know, with, the, with their creation process. If it's a music video they're bringing out, if it's a film project they're working on, or if it's an illustration they're working on. And um, we want to have uh, increased conversations that is more of a platform where people get to share um, ideas, get to, and get to learn from each other, skill share, because sometimes we may not have the monetary payment, but we have a skill that may be useful to someone else. So for example, if I'm a photographer and, uh, and uh, someone else is a, is, a product, uh, is a product designer, right? The product designer may need the photographer to take good images of the products for the product designer to be able to share with the market, right? So we've also been able to um, actually have gigs uh, directly to, the, to, the, to some of the creatives through the app. So people who reach out to us, the people who look out for, who are looking for, for, for example, graphic illustrators, and, and uh, we, we refer the app to them and they find people they really like. So we've had people who are looking to work with creatives in comic, uh, in book illustrations, in um, you know, different, uh, different paid gigs actually. And that's what we really wanna, wanna really um, also try and get these paid opportunities to create it because as Gomboy said, this is actually a, a source of livelihood. So it's something that should be taken seriously in terms of I'm a creative and I'm earning from my creations. So yeah, um, we believe in community over competition. We believe in working together because that's how we are strong. So we also want to hear what people think about the app and any more suggestions of how to make it even more interactive, more like a platform where we can share things together and connect people from all different ways, you know, because we all have a story to share. So 
that's that's what we're working on. We 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 wanna really improve on how we work with the community in terms of let's 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 tell these stories together. So let's have these conversations. And currently, we are actually on the lookout for a community assistant, um, someone who can help with the social um, and and you know running stuff with the community. So if you're good at that, please reach out to us, um, NairobiDesign.com. Um, and and see how we can work together. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Tom, this is just a a quick segue. There was a time you used to give woodcut printing workshops. Would you still be open to that? Um, uh, Yes, I I would. Um, uh, I I believe in uh, empowering artists through education, through workshops. Uh, Our times just have to align properly because sometimes I pretend I'm very busy sometimes I have a lot of time (laughs) I hear you thank you very much before you you, the question I realized I didn't answer so what exhibitions is the art space proud about Uh, there was one exhibition for Longinos Nagila which was held the Simba uh, showroom which is a car showroom and we put the artwork in there and something that the art space is interested in doing more and started moving towards is having uh, exhibitions in unusual spaces. The reason being to pull the idea that artwork is supposed to be enjoyed within four walls, which is, has to be a gallery space, into the fact that it can be, it can be enjoyed anywhere else. Uh, it's um, the, the next show which is slated for September will actually be in a workshop on Gong Road where the artisans are. So the, I, the, it, it would be nice to coll- collaborate with other people who have interesting spaces. Um, I, we're open to seeing what you have available. We need it for a month. So uh, it can be basement parking, it can be apartments, it can be anything that brings art to an audience that might not necessarily walk into a gallery. Thank you very much. I, I, I love how this conversation is going on. This last question was actually meant for you, but actually it applies to all of us because I saw somebody bringing out this um, question at the beginning of our talk, which was what motivates you to keep going? Wamboy, you are in the process of setting up two exhibitions, one in July, um, Akili Ninuele, and another one at the end of the year called All My Venus Days. Naitiemu and also Tom, and also I, as artists, you know, sometimes this um, (laughs) drive to keep going and keep creating, what actually motivates you to do that? And also, in terms of your health, what structures do you have to support that? Where it's not just that I'm creating, 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 and consuming, 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 but what systems do you have in place to support you on a holistic level? I can only understand my creativity as as a sort of madness, I have to say, uh, in the sense that if I do not create then it accumulates and it blocks everything else that could possibly uh, allow me to function. Uh, It's what I do. It's the thing that I do in the same way that a doctor is passionate about saving lives. I'm passionate about creating. Um, How am I creating three exhibitions this year? Actually, the truth is these exhibitions have been in creation for the last five years. 
So what you're seeing now is the, the final part, which often is the easiest part, putting together the ideas so that I can then share them. The work behind it has been over a long period of time. So it's, 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 I am also attempting to challenge myself to see if I can produce work, um, especially with the type of work I do, which is installation. It, it's, it's magnitude. It's, a, it's, a, it's at a huge magnitude in terms of being in the space and involving all sorts of senses. So I'm challenging myself to see if I can create work consistent, consistently. The research has already been done. The conceptualization has already been done. It's the presentation. Now, what do I have in terms of structures that support my health? The ability to take a break. So the ability to say, you know, I'm not creating this year. This year, I am taking the opportunity to learn, to experience, uh, to understand myself better so that I can better communicate the message that I want to, to, to send out. And it's also not comparing yourself to other artists, you know, not looking at somebody's work and somebody's trajectory and saying, oh, they're a famous artist and, you know, everyone's buying their artwork. Nobody's buying my artwork. It's in saying that you have your own journey. And like I said, there's always, a, a, there's very few artists who have a continuous trajectory in terms of their own artwork and sales. There, most of the time there's a peak and there's a drop and you know that peak and drop is going to come for you at one point. And it's about <laughs> consistently producing the work because that is what you do. You create. Mm-hmm. Now, can you add on to that? Yes, yes. Um, sure. Uh, definitely what Mboya said. Plus, uh, I think for me also, it's more about collaboration. There's a lot that uh, I learned from collaborating with um, different kinds of creatives. So I approach art in a, I approach my practice in a very multidisciplinary uh, way, in a, such that you'll find I have collaborations with poets, I have collaborations with uh, real estate people, you know, as we are growing and learning uh, uh, and more and more different people are actually approaching us for, for projects we never even thought we'd be working on, you know? So um, it's more about learning. I feel what inspires me is the whole aspect of learning something new. Um, you know, learning a new software, learning how to edit a video, learning how to, you know, do something else that I didn't know before that, that suddenly will kind of add on to my practice. So that's, that's what I'd add. Um, plus, plus just really enjoying. It's fun. You know, it's a fun process. You know, we are all gonna, I don't want to be pessimistic, but you're all going to die someday. So you want to live your life to the fullest, right? So every day realizing that when I wake up in the morning, I want to enjoy my life and how best do I enjoy it by creating. Um, and, and that really inspires me. Okay. Tom, any final point about what motivates you to keep going? Uh, the beauty of speaking last is that you can copy the guys ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I think for me, um, uh, when I was younger, I'm, I'm still very young, but uh, earlier in my practice, I was, I was obsessed with uh, being the best, being the biggest. And then uh, as, as you grow into the industry, you learn that uh, you, you, you're just uh, huge, huge people in a very tiny pond. Uh, so I think I just made it a course to try and make the pond bigger so that uh, we can be a lot of big fish in it. 
um, and uh, I, I think it's uh, it gives us more more space to navigate. It 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 allows us to have uh, uh, more important artists to operate. Um, what helps me that uh, my days are very long, in that uh, my days start very early, but I work very few hours. So I I know the frustrations that come with. Uh, getting in your studio at six and leaving at nine uh, because uh, that means that uh, you are entirely depending on your studio or on your on making art for a living for your for your satisfaction for everything so i've structured my life in a way that uh, i know which time is my time to make art which time is my time to read to improve myself which time is my time to serve other artists. And uh, I think uh, I have very supportive people around me, uh, supportive uh, mentally, emotionally, and uh, it gives me a good heads, heads up. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us on Nairobi at Meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.